0: start this morning. Can I do something a little out of the ordinary? I want to just take a second and, uh, and spend some time in prayer. Uh, most of you who were here this morning before uh, small groups started uh, may have seen Mark, Gary, uh, just not himself. And um, after getting a hold of family and uh, letting them know what's going on, Josh and Katie came in. Jessica was gone to the hospital this morning. We've got a couple of other folks who are out uh, helping. Mark has had a, a series of heart attacks this morning and is currently having seizures, um, and is being med flighted to uh, Pine Bluff right now. Mark is a big part of our church. He runs the slides for us every Sunday. He's faithful. Uh, if you've been in Wednesday night Bible study, you just know Mark, and you love Mark, and says it's honesty and transparency. So I just felt like it's appropriate for us as a church just to spend some time in prayer, uh, praying for him and for his family, and for God to do something pretty miraculous in his life over the next few minutes. And so can we just do that together? Is that okay? Can we just pray? uh for mark and, and kind of just lift up one big prayer for him let's do that father we thank you for today and thank you for the truth of uh those songs that we've sang of that we will not be moved and and father you are our strong foundation and you are all the things that we need you to be and in this very moment father we pray for mark uh one of our own who is uh who's who's struggling right now and god we just pray that you would be uh faithful to him as he has been faithful to you and god that you would uh that you would just fix whatever's going on, God, with his heart and with the seizures and God, that you do with the doctors and the nurses and all those who are attending care to him, Father, for his family, uh, for Jacqueline Bryant, who's on her way down right now and and trying to figure out where to go and and all things that are happening. Uh, God, we as a church are thankful for faithful members and Father, when faithful members suffer, we we lift them up and so we thank you for an opportunity we have to do that this morning. So Father, in your way, touch him and heal him and and work in his life and and God, we can... uh, we can be faithful to pray but god you are faithful above all things and so we just entrust him to you in this moment and we thank you for a church that believes in prayer and uh, and who loves each other and, and so father in this moment we just lift him up and ask that you do something uh, miraculous god believing and knowing that you can It's in jesus name we pray amen i well, thank you for that thank you for uh that and as we find out information about him today we'll obviously be letting some folks know Uh, as we kind of move throughout the rest of this. Now, uh, if you are with us this morning, we are on the last of our greater love series sermons. And so you kind of kind of on the backside of this, which is okay. Uh, We've been talking about everything, uh, all things really love from uh, the greatest love that we have that's expressed through Jesus for our expression of love through our marriages. Last week, we talked about uh, what love is and what it's not, what it does and what it does not. All out of First Corinthians, chapter 13. And then we we ended last week talking about how really that's supposed to be expressed through the church. We read that passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 and think, well, that's marital love. Love is patient. Love is kind. All that good stuff. But it's not talking about marriage. It's talking about how the church should love each other. And so I thought as we begin to kind of put a bow and and wrap up this whole series tonight in our our six o'clock Bible study uh, we're wrapping up our Everybody Always study, and that's just a study of practical application of how to love everybody all the time. And I thought, how can, how can we best appropriately wrap up this whole thought of love? And the best way I thought we could do that is let's 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 just talk about people that we don't like, right? Can we just do that as a church? Can we just talk about some people that we don't like? And I know that you're thinking, Matt, we can't do that. You're the preacher. We're not supposed to do that at church. As a matter of fact, some of you, I would bet on your way to Church this morning, we're talking about somebody in the car on your way to church, then you pulled up in the parking lot and said, Now let's stop talking about that. We're at church. As though Jesus can hear you in the parking lot but can't hear you on the bypass, right? And it's the craziest thing because we talk about people all the time. And so I thought, what better way to wrap up this idea of love is just to talk about some folks. So let's just do this. Let's make a list. You have a bulletin, and there should be a little blank part in it. Let's just make a people list of people that we don't like. And we just Write their name. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you and you need to write real small. Or maybe it's like, remember when you were a kid in, in school and you didn't want anybody cheating off your test? You kind of huddled around uh, your, your, your little pieces of paper. This whole idea of, of people that we don't like, we could make, we know their names, right? We know exactly who they are. We know probably where they live. We know what they've done to us to make us feel like we don't like them. And we can, we can make all these lists of, of people. Maybe it's somebody who's hurt us. Or somebody that we love, right? They've hurt somebody that we love. Maybe it's people who have unintentionally or intentionally done something to us. And it just, man, they just make the list. Maybe it's just people who are different than us. Maybe they, uh, they talk different or they, they act different or they parent different or they vote different or they, you know, they, they live different than us in some way or another. Maybe, maybe it's people who have talked about you almost as much as you've talked about them. Maybe those are the people who make the list. And the sad fact is, is, I think a lot of us have more people on our do not like list than on our love list, right? Our love list is real short, but our do not like list can be pretty long sometimes. Sometimes people move from one list to the other. Y'all ever had that happen? Someone who was on your love list is now on your do not like list? And Very rarely, it does happen, people who are on your do not like list get moved over to your love list. Uh... I really like this verse because if we're, if we're pulling everything out of our, uh, our theme verse for this whole um, series is Jesus says that, you know, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you, right? That's, that's kind of been our focal verse for this last month of, of sermons. This idea of love and, and how we're supposed to interact with these people, Jesus addresses this, and he, he, he calls them a pretty harsh word. The people on our do not like list. He calls them, the Greek word, ekthros. Okay, it's on the screen, it doesn't mean anything, but here's what's important. Okay, this word, ekthros is where we get our English word, uh, synecthory. And how many of you use that on a very regular basis, right? Synecthory. Synecthery means a hostile association. I'm a word nerd. Sometimes I like these big words, and this is just one of those uh, $10 words that I'll never, ever use in my whole life. But synecthery, you can even see it, E-C-H-T-H-R-Y. It's, not, it's where we kind of get that word, ectrus from. And, and ectrus is, is our root word for synecthery. It just means hostile association. But if something is... It's okay, Dustin, you put that up there. If something is synecthrian, that's a noun, and it means an insect living as an unwelcomed guest among other insects. The example that Webster's Dictionary uses is like a beetle living among ants. It's not supposed to be there. It's not welcomed there. It's out of place there. And and Jesus says all the people that we have on on our do not like list is we've got some kind of hostile association with we feel like they don't belong, like they're not supposed to be where we are. And the word that we translate ekthros, the Greek word, into is just the word enemy. Now, we would think, we hear that verse and we say, I don't have any enemies, right? We think about enemies as somebody that was in this, like, this big major conflict over good and evil, it's something that we see portrayed on a screen, like uh, like Batman and Joker or Wally e. Coyote and the Roadrunner, or a seventh grade boy and deodorant. It's just this weird thing where they have to be at enmity with each other. They are enemies of each other. They are at opposite ends of good and evil. But Jesus says, you know, all those people that, that you feel like don't belong, that you feel like uh, are in a hostile association with you, He uses the word enemy. I think Jesus chooses His words very carefully. And because he has all that emotion behind it. All that, all that reasoning behind all the reasons why they're on our list. All the hurts and all the names maybe that they've called you. And all the situations around why they're on your list. And he still uses the word enemy. Because that's exactly how they're defined. Now, if I just stopped right there. And, and, and I thought, Okay. In this moment, Jesus understands, right? Because he's calling them an enemy. We can see them as an enemy. They're on our list, and everybody's on the same page, and we're all feeling very justified, right? Because even Jesus calls them enemies. But, but Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He, he takes us a little bit further, deeper, and, and, and even beyond our own comfort zone. And this is what he says. Luke chapter 6, if you've got your Bible, here's our, here's our passage of Scripture this week. Luke chapter 6, verse 27, I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And we all read that and go, what in the world? Like we all just found some, finally found some common ground. Jesus understands. He calls them our enemy. We understand that that word means enemy, and we all feel very justified. And then Jesus flips it and says, oh, yeah, those people love those people. Bless those people. Do good by them. Pray for them. And we, and we just want to feel like, God, I thought you understood. Like, right? I thought you got it. I thought we were on the same page. They've hurt us. They've done something to us. And we are in hostile relationship for a, quote, unquote, good reason And Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and he says, trust me, I get it. I totally understand because that's how you were to me. And yet I still loved you. And church, man, we're two verses deep into this and we're already broken. We already understand that we're moving past the superficial dynamic of earthly relationships. And see, this is exactly how God identifies with us. And he says, love your enemies because guess what? I loved you. Because we were at one time enemies of God. Look at this verse in Romans chapter 5. I think I've got it on the screen. It says this. For if while we were still God's enemies, this is Paul talking, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? In other words, when we were God's enemies, he loved us enough to have right relationship with us by providing his son to die for us us the enemies and now that we have this right relationship how just imagine how great and incredible life can be listen church if you don't 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 miss this jesus knows how hard it is to love your enemies because when we were his enemy he loved That's the hardest reality that I'm going to say all morning. That Jesus knows the people on our list and the reasons behind why they're on our list and all the emotion and all the frustration and all the hurt that accompanies their name. Jesus says, yeah, I get it. Because that was you to me. We were enemies of God. And he says, but I still love you. When we read these verses and we see love your enemies, do good, bless and pray pray for these these words are, are, are almost like they're almost prickly in nature. They just kind of we just we don't want they, they just have a bad feeling. We don't want to rub up close to them. This idea of blessing those who curse you is kind of a tricky one because none of us walk around blessing people, right? I think I told you guys the story when I was in college. I worked at Walmart and I helped a little old lady and she was a nun. She was in the full habit thing. And when I showed her wherever it was that she was looking for, she gave me one of the bless you Matthews. And like I almost hit the floor. I was like, this is crazy. I've just been blessed by a nun. And my name tag said Matt and she called me Matthew. So she must be from Jesus, right? And I was just blown away by that moment. We don't walk around and do that. You shouldn't, let me rephrase that, you shouldn't walk around and do that. You can say God bless you because He's the one who should be blessed anyway. But when we think about blessing our enemies, you know what that word means? It means to congratulate them. Congratulate your enemies. To celebrate with praise. When's the last time you celebrated somebody on that list? Not someone making the list, but someone actually... On the list. Something good happens for them. They go on vacation, they get a new car, they they pay off some kind of debt, they 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 come into some kind of money, and anything you deem, because this is the important part, anything that you deem good happens in their life. That first feeling sometimes is not celebration. Right? It's not it's not excitement for them. It's more this accompanying of this, why them? Why is all this good stuff happening? Why do they catch all the breaks? You know what that is, right? jealousy and envy and pride has more to do with us than it has to do with them. It's pointed very much inward. Jesus says, celebrate your enemies who curse you. That's a hard one. He says, to pray for those who mistreat you. How many of you actually really do this? I mean, it's it's one thing to say because we're in church and it's Sunday morning and we're all good people because we're here. But it's one thing to say that and it's a whole other thing to actually do it. And sometimes when we pray for them, we turn our—we kind of turn our. God, I pray that you get their attention. I pray that you rock their world. I pray that you bring them to their knees and ask for my repentance and forgiveness. That's not what he says. He says, pray for them honestly, earnestly, sincerely. Pray that God would move in their life and move in their families and move in their kids and meet their needs. Listen, if Jesus can literally pray for the person who's nailing him to the cross, can we not pray for our quote unquote? enemies. Man, it just brings incredible perspective to this passage of Scripture. And again, this is not earth-shattering news, right? This is not, oh, wow, we should be nice to our enemies, or we should pray. You guys know this. We just don't live it out. We, we have all this knowledge. We just don't, we just don't, well, I don't know how, or I don't know what to do next. And so Jesus takes all those excuses away from us. And if you keep reading verse 29, look at what he says. If someone strikes you on the cheek, Turn to him the other also. Someone takes your cloak. Do not stay, stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, we all know this. because This is the golden rule, right? We talk about this all the time. We teach our kids this all the time. Do to others as you would have them do to you. But there's a lot of other verses. There's a lot of other meat in those verses right before that we don't want to miss. This thought of striking someone on the cheek is is a literal kind of interpretation of somebody slapping or hitting you with a stick. If somebody hits you, physically hits you, this was this was even finable in their culture by a shilling or more, depending on how hard they hit you and what they actually hit you with. They're saying, listen, when that happens, he's, he's not saying like just... Keep taking the beating, turn the other cheek, and let them hit the other side. That's not what he's saying. He's going beyond that, and he's he's inferring an analogy of when people hurt us, we're not supposed to turn away from them. We're supposed to turn to them, and if they hurt us again, we just keep turning back to them again and again and again. So think about the people. Think about the people that maybe that maybe we've distanced ourselves from. The ones that we would listen. Jesus' words here enemies that we have put some distance to. We go out of our way to avoid them. We, we refuse to be where they are. We know that they've hurt us, and we're not willing to be hurt again, so we protect ourselves by cutting them out. And Jesus says, when somebody does that to you, turn back to them, and turn back to them, and turn back to them, because that's what real love is. And he says, if somebody takes your cloak, this is kind of weird. If you know your Old Testament law, you know that Exodus and Leviticus both speak to, it's illegal to take somebody's cloak, okay? So your cloak in this time is kind of like your first line of protection. It's a heavy outer coat. It's, it's, a, it's a sleeping bag, a coat, and a pillow all in one, okay? If you can think of it like that, it's like the ultimate Snuggie. Uh, before Snuggies were a thing, this was a very heavy, thick, Covering, and if you didn't have a home, or if you were on the road and you were traveling, if you had your cloak, you were fine because it was this big, heavy blanket that you could pull over yourself. You could sleep outside, and it wasn't. It was kind of a protective layer. In the Old Testament, matter of fact, it says if you have to take someone's cloak as uh, as like a a payment or a um, as a, a collateral on a loan that you've given them, then it's illegal to keep this thing overnight. And so, if they say, "Listen, I pledged to you my cloak until I can pay you back," Every day, at the end of the day, you have to give that back to them because it's that important to the person. And that next day, they have to come back and give it back to you saying, okay, you got it all day, but I'll be back, and I'll see you at 7, kind of a thing. And they're going to come back, and they're going to get it uh, overnight. And so this, this analogy Jesus is hitting on is one that all the Jews are very familiar with. They understand exactly what he's saying. They say, listen, if, if, if anyone who takes your cloak, and you know in that minute, if they've taken it, then they're your enemy." They're automatic because that's, that's totally against the rules. You're not supposed to do that. But if they've taken it, he says, give them your tunic as well. It's almost like give them your shirt too. Now we don't have cloaks and tunics and stuff like that, but we do have people who've taken advantage of us, right? You know, you know how that feels. You know what that, what does kind of does to your your ability to trust people or your ability to open up to people or your ability to love people, when you've been taken advantage of by someone, especially someone that maybe you, you're close to or that you would even consider that you loved, it, it hurts us. Maybe it's family members or friends or people you worked with or someone that they, they've wronged you in some way, taken advantage of your friendship, of your generosity, of your grace, of your forgiveness finances, maybe even taking advantage of, of who you really are at your core, your integrity. And they've twisted it and they manipulated it for their own advantage and they've just taken advantage of you and you just feel used. Right? Those people. Those people, Jesus says right here in the middle of all this, give them what they've taken and give them even more. Literally, this: give them the shirt off your Because when people do this to us, we, we just naturally, I mean, they can get close, but they can't get that close again. They can, they can be acquaintances, but they'll never be friends again. They can, they can come to our house, but they're not necessarily welcome in our house anymore. He says, give them everything. Anyone who asks of you, and if anyone takes from you, don't demand it back. Give to anybody who asks anybody takes don't demand this is hard because I don't, I don't like a thief and I don't like anybody who takes anything from me right it just kind of feels like this invasion and there's a little bit of discussion around this if you know who Augustine is he's this first century kind of theologian guy and, and he he has this um, he has this theory that this this Jesus is really trying to imply something else here his theory is this give to every man but but not 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 every. Give to every man, but not everything. And if you read what Jesus is actually saying, he's saying, like, listen, don't miss the big part of this. This is not superficial. This is not surface level. If we do that, we miss the bigger picture here. Jesus is actually saying, live a life of charity. Live a life giving to those who are in need and live in such a way that no possession of yours possesses you. Live in a way that no possession of yours possesses you. Give freely. And even bigger than that, I believe he's talking about not just the material things that we have but, but these emotional things that we hold back from people. We give love to anybody who asks it. We give forgiveness. We give grace. We give selflessness. We give our time. We give our talent. We give our energy. We give our heart to anybody who asks of it. And if anyone takes any of that, give without demanding any of it back. You just give it. And so This is how we are to treat our enemies. And so when you read this, this is so great. In context, which means in all the surrounding verses, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, really should read, do to your enemies as you would have them do to you. totally changes the concept of the golden rule. Because we read that, we go, oh, yeah, I do it to others. We have it to do it to you. I'm going to do it to my friends, and I want my friends to do for me. I'm going to do it to my family because I want my family to do it to me. But when we read that in the context of your enemies, oh, that means we've got to set the standard. That means we've got to set the bar. That means whenever things happen in life, that we're the ones who are setting the standard of how they're going to treat us by the way that we treat them. Do it to your enemies as you would have them do to you. And don't you just wish sometimes... Like Jesus would just stop talking. Right. Like I've read scripture before and been like, okay, you can stop right there. That's enough. But and like, let's just talk about how great heaven's gonna be. Can we just talk about that for like five minutes, Jesus? But he doesn't stop there. We keep reading. He goes into and really begins to cut away some of our hypocrisy when it comes to this issue, because honestly, we can all fake it. Right? I was, when I was, before I was a preacher, I was a banker, you guys know this, I worked in North Little Rock, and I had, uh, I had a really, I had a decent job at a bank, and, and part of my responsibility was that um, I had to, <coughs> I had to have these uh, events at the bank, uh, Jessica went to a couple of these with me, and hated every moment of it, uh, and so we would have all these big wigs, all these really uh, wealthy people come in, and uh, and we'd host these, uh, it's awful, but it's what it was, we host these wine and cheese events, and we'd, People would drink stinky wine and eat stinky cheese. And and they would walk around and they'd just kind of smooze with people. Well, I had to be there. I was like 24, 25. I didn't know nothing about it. Retirement was a foreign thought to me. A savings account was like Greek to me. I didn't care anything about having a whole lot of money. I wanted to spend my money on my fiancé and my girlfriend. And so that's what I did. And so I didn't have any money in the bank. But I talked to people who had a whole lot of money in our bank. I'm talking like a whole lot of money. And I had to work that room like a, you'd have thought I was running for office. I was, I mean, I could go through and talk to people about their farming equipment, and I'd go over here and talk to this guy about his investments, and I'd go over here and talk to this guy about his wife spending all his money, and I'd go over here and talk about, it was just, I just had to play the role. And I hated, I walked around the whole time without wine, P.S., just to, keep all you at ease. I walked around that whole room and I would just talk to people and I would just fake it and I would, if Jessica wasn't there, I would leave and I'd call her and go, oh my gosh. She said, was it that bad? I was like, it was that bad. I said, it's just a room full of people that I don't have anything in common with and I just don't think I'm ever going to, right? And so, we can all fake it. Some of y'all do that every day. You go into your office and you fake it. Sometimes you go into your home's fake it and we just live with this fake it till we make it mentality and we just get through what we got to get through and so even when we're around our enemies that's just man that's just one more hat we can put on one more smile we can plaster and we can smile we can greet and we can grit our teeth and we can say we love you guys. we just can't wait to see you again and you get back in your car and say we're never hanging out with those people again because that's what we do and Jesus cuts through all of that and pushes Into the heart of the issue. Keep reading verse 32. If you love those who love you. What credit is that to you? Even even sinners love those who love you. And if you do good to those who do good to you. What credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment. What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. And Jesus just cuts through all of our self-righteousness. And leaves us that word sinner literally means someone devoted to sin. This is not just someone who's messed up or who makes an occasional mistake. This is someone whose life is bent on wickedness. And they're saying, listen, if you're going to take the easy way out, if you're going to love those who love you back, and if you do good to those who do good back to you, if you lend to people who know that you know will and can repay you, then then don't say that's the Christian thing to do. Because even the worst of the worst do that. Right? If really, if that's the extent of your love, then congratulations. Augustine, I just talked about him, the same guy, talks about this passage of Scripture and he says, serpents, wolves, and bears do that. He, he narrows this down to the, this is this primal animalistic behavior. Even the basics of basic animals do this. In other words, Jesus is looking at us very in our face and saying, don't claim to love, If the only people you love are those who love you back. Don't stand on your little pedestal and congratulate yourself and say, Oh, I love people. Don't claim to love people. If the only people you love are those who love you back. And Jesus, because he is Jesus, leaves no room for misinterpretation. So he repeats what he said already. Verse 35. Love your enemies. Just in case we didn't hear him the first time or we think maybe we misunderstood him, he comes right back to it and says, love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now the normal rule of life is the rule that most of us all grew up knowing and understanding. Good, repay good for good, right? Repay good for good or repay evil for evil. We all grow up understanding that. You hurt me, I hurt you. You're nice to me, I'm nice to you. Good for good, evil for evil is the normal rule. And he says, listen, what the world has done is they have twisted that and manipulated that. And sometimes, and we understand when that happens, that sometimes evil is repaid for good, right? Right? We've done something nice for somebody and they've taken advantage of us. We've gone out of our way to do something and somebody has not been. Kind of, this is as simple as, I mean, holding the door open uh, for somebody and they're not even saying thank you, right? That just crawls all over uh, me. And so <clears throat> there's this idea of understanding good for good, evil for evil, and then the way the world manipulates that is evil for good. But Jesus introduces a brand new concept right here, one that's outside of what the law even says itself. The one that's outside of what they're understanding, the Jewish culture understands themselves. And he says, let's do something completely different. Let's return evil, or let's return good for evil. That's, that's what real love looks like. When you can return good for an evil done to you. This breaks the barriers of understanding of loving people. And he says, love your enemies. Do these things, return good for evil, then your reward will be great. Then, you'll get something out of it that you would never have gotten before. Something that's even better than the love or the good deeds or whatever, the repayment of loan, whatever that was, you're going to get something even better. You'll be called sons of the Most High. That's really cool. Because here's here's what this is, this phrase, uh, the Most High. If you read Scripture, (coughs) there's a couple different times where other people call God that. Like, there's, I think it's used, I don't know, five, six, seven times in scripture. And it's always somebody else talking about who God is. This is the only time Jesus refers to the Father as the Most High. It's the only time in any of his teaching in all four Gospels that, that Jesus refers to God as the Most High. And I, I believe he uses this word and this phrase in Greek to, to pull our attention. And, and to be intentional with his words, because this word, this Greek word, "hoopsistas," uh, kind of is upturned. It's kind of fun to say, "hoopsistas," like right? it kind of comes up. And he says, then you'll be sons of the Most High. And even in the pronunciation of the word, it's upturned. It's almost joyous in the way that you say it. And I believe Jesus uses that on purpose to kind of pull our attention upward. That you do all this stuff, you're going to be sons of the... And it pulls our attention from all this junk that we deal with in a normal, ordinary day. And it pulls our focus and our attention upward. And he's saying, listen, there's a higher way. There's a better way. There's a way that points upwards. Live this way. When you, when you return good for evil, you're, you're turning upwards. It's, it's, everything is pointed up. It's all kind of inflected upward." even in his grammar. I love that. Because it pulls us out of our thought and in our out of our out of our downturned like world that we live in sometimes. And he's saying, Listen, I, I, I believe that the most high, the most high, he is he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. He is merciful and church. Like listen, when we read all this, aren't you glad he is? Aren't you glad he's kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked? Because in the middle of the worst mistake of your life, He was merciful. In the middle of your disobedience and rebellion, He was merciful. In the middle of our opposition to Him, He was merciful. And now He looks at us and He just says, treat each other like I treated you. When you were against me, I loved you. When you were opposed to me, I gave grace to you. I was merciful to you. Just treat other people like I treated you. You in church extend grace and mercy and forgiveness. Jesus is basically looking at us saying, I died for you. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he's saying, All that I did for you, just do it for other people. Don't take advantage of the grace that I've given you. Don't repay me evil for the good that I've done. When you hold grace for hostage, and you're not living love. And Jesus says, why would you treat the people like that? Treat them like I treated you. This is very, very easy. And my question on the back side of this is why would we ever not? When, when we are faced with the reality of how much God loved us and how He extended grace to us and how He forgiven us and how He gives us mercy and all that stuff, when we were enemies of God, why would we never not do that for other people? And I'm going to answer that question for because we forget not forget to do it but we forget what it's like to be lost some of us who have been Christians for a long time and maybe you've been living your life and your focus is Jesus and you've been you've been trying to do the things right and you parent you try to parent well and you try to have a great marriage relationship and you try to love people and you try to extend all that kind of stuff and you do all the things like you're supposed to you consistently give out love and mercy and grace And at some point, we forget what it's like to be opposed to God. That that the focus of our life at one point was not holiness and righteousness. And listen, some of us, real talk, some of us are not that far removed from that old life of ours. And yet we still forget. We we, we tend to think of ourselves as, well, we we weren't saved, but we were still good people. We just needed to meet. Jesus. And that's not how the Bible describes us at all. We were enemies of God. Our soul and spirit was set on destruction and nothing inside of us was righteous, good, or holy. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 2 says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins when you used to live in, when where you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are being disobedient. All of us lived among them one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in His mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Never, ever, ever lose sight of the fact of who we were. Before we were His. We were unlovable. We were full of wrath. We were deserving of wrath. And we were enemies of God. And God stepped into our life. And extended grace and mercy. It is by grace that we have been saved. And that same grace that He inferred to us. Is our responsibility. To give to our enemies as well. Never lose sight of who we were to Him. And if he can choose to love us, then we, church, can choose to love our enemies. Why would we not extend that same kind of grace to every other person? John fifteen twelve 12, our theme verse for this whole series. This is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. This is hard. It means those who don't love us back. It means those who are on our list. It means those who have hurt us and have betrayed us. Here's my last thought, and I'm going to wrap this up. Jesus wraps up this thought in Luke chapter 6 with some really great application. Uh, it has really major, I believe, implications in our own life. If you read verse 37 and 38, it says this, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be poured into your lap. Now remember, this is great. This is all still tied to how we treat our enemies. So when he says, don't judge, don't condemn, forgive, give, these are all actions that, that we are to take towards those who are hard to love. But this time, he does something completely unique and something completely different. He attaches it directly back to us. He says, don't do this so it's not done to you. Do this so that it is done to you. Who do you think is the one who is administering this back to us? It's not those people. Remember last week I talked about Deborah, y'all remember who was here last week? We talked about Deborah, and here comes Deborah. I totally forgot that Fran Van name is Deborah, and so I caught it in the, in the hallway. She's like, let me list off for you all the Debras. It's Deborah Hargrave. It's me, Deborah LaFran. And, and she started listing off all So if your name's Deborah, I'm sorry, okay? But remember Deborah from last week? We think this verse is saying don't judge Deborah, and Deborah won't judge you. Don't, don't condemn Deborah, and she won't condemn. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's relating all of this back to how he has the authority to do that to us. He says, don't judge, condemn, forgive, give, all this kind of stuff because I won't do that to you. It has nothing to do with Deborah anymore. It has nothing to do with those people on our list anymore. It's all in how he... We don't do this to those people. He won't do that to us. Remember in week one I said this. If I think about the last three difficult people that you've encountered. Maybe a family member, coworker, your spouse, or whatever. What if God loved you the way you loved them? In this verse, he basically says that he will. he will. He will extend grace to us as we extend grace to other people. He will forgive us as much as we have forgiven other people. And this church should shake us to our core. Because we're not good at this. Because they're our enemies. We've labeled them. I stopped short on that verse. If you've got your Bible open, I stopped with it, it would be poured into your lap. But Jesus keeps talking, and he says this for the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Like if we're we're talking about grace and love and forgiveness right we're talking about all that stuff we want god to use like buckets full on us right and then we we dip into that same and we just we just kind of toss a little bit to our enemies and and jesus says in very straightforward language whatever you do for other people is how i'm going to do for you however you love other people i'll love you however you give mercy and grace and Forgiveness for other people, that's how I'll extend it to you. But however you condemn other people, that's how I'll condemn you. How you hold back forgiveness and love and all that kind of stuff, and if that's what you want to do, then that's what I'll do for you too, church. This is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. This goes beyond the names on our list. If you wrote down physical names on your list, then, then you are brave and congratulations. I'm proud of you. But a lot of us didn't physically write them down, but we know who they are. We know exactly what they've done. We know how they've hurt us. We know that our families have been maybe even wrecked from some of their actions. And Jesus says, those people are the ones you're supposed to love. Because listen, we can love each other and it's easy to love each other. I would even say 99.9% of everybody in this room, it's easy to love. Even every dynamic of every relationship that's in this room, we know they're easy to love. But what happens when we express grace and love and forgiveness to those hard to love people? I believe God loves us like that too. So here's what's great. We have our list in our piece of paper or maybe even in our mind. And if you made that list physically, then I just want you to scratch it out. because It doesn't matter. And I want you to write down your name. Matt. Mark. Keith. Deborah. We were all on God's list one time too. We were enemies of him. And you know what he did with that? He scratched your name off the list. He stepped out of heaven, and he said, let me show you what it's like to be reconciled to God. You know what that word reconciled means? It means to be put back in right relationship as though it was never broken. Put it back like it never was broken before. Like it never even happened. We're reconciled to God in that way. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, church. And we're going to stand. TJ's going to come and and we're going to pray and they're going to have an invitation. But here's here's what I want you to do during your invitation this morning. This morning, your goal is to recognize the people on your list and begin to scratch them off. They're not my enemy. They're not, they're not my enemy. They're not. They may have hurt me, but they're not my enemy. They're not, they're not the person that I, that I withhold grace or mercy from. That's not what God wants me to do. They're no longer my enemy. So now I have to reconcile those relationships. Maybe it's relationships in your own home. Maybe it's relationships with extended family members. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's church members. Whoever it is, you know who it is. You know those people that we've been talking about. But would you ever, ever want God to love you the way you love them? Maybe it's time we start loving them the way God loves us. You quickly realize that they're no longer enemies. Will you stand with me as we pray? Hey, this is Matt Operall, the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. We'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emanuel. Thanks for watching.